the place I find that my privilege can best be leveraged, leveraged for positive impact in the world is by being as willing as I'm capable of in the moment to be humbled by the universe and the world and the people that are showing up in my world and to continually really like look over on this side. I'd like you to meet my guest today, Adam Quiney. Adam is a fiercely intelligent executive coach who specializes in working with leaders who consider themselves to be the smartest person in the room. He lives on Vancouver Island in Victoria, BC, and I invited him onto the show to have a candid and personal conversation about privilege, power, and leadership. My hope is that our discussion of first-hand privilege and the opportunities we see to leverage our power for collective good opens more possibilities than judgments. This is the Super Givers Podcast. So I just throw it out to you without too much complication. What comes up for you, even in the thought of having a conversation about your privilege and how you show up in the world today? Um, let's see. <clears throat> First, a little bit of fear, because um, I think like almost the nature of privilege is you can't see it uh, or it, it demands something of us to, to see it because it's kind of the water we all swim in, mm. uh, whether we swim in it like where it benefits us or we swim in it where it does not. And so it's always a little, it always drives up a bit of my fear when there's a chance like, oh, that's, there's my blind spot, got hit in the side. Mm. Um, and um, two, kind of some excitement too, because a lot of times the way that conversation unfolds, I think is understandably from a reactive or defensive or aggressive or like a right wrong kind of place. And that makes it hard to have, it just makes it hard for everyone to have like an open conversation about it. So I'm kind of excited. I, I am excited uh, to well, who knows? Maybe you're just going to start slamming me now. But <laughs> either way, I'm excited as well. If I'm slamming you, I'm slamming me too. So that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not right. that's not my intent. Uh, <laughs> great. Well, let's go with what you're excited about. And and I think as we as we talk more, this will be a little bit different style interview than I normally do because I'm happy to support in in the way of my own sharing a little bit more than I do if it serves people. But nice. you, you call yourself an executive coach, and I want to know how you how you see privilege showing up in that world because I'm imagining it is uh, largely a world of privilege and whiteness and power um, mm. largely of course not all yeah and so I'm I'm just curious to start there making sure that I've got you so the field of coaching you're you're saying you would your hunch would be it's largely one of privilege there's a lot of privilege present in that field itself rather than the, necessarily the field of the clients i would work with is that right yeah i think that's a better direction to go it's not what i actually said but i think that's that's where i want to go is like this privilege informed context of coaching but, the, mm, but nice. then but then also you know in the executive coaching world yeah, well, I mean, even like if we just look at the term executive, right, like that in and of itself um, suggests a degree of privilege because uh, largely our system is a one of racism. It's based on the foundation of racism. Um, and I use I think it's uh, Robin. D I'm going to get her name right wrong and feel bad. Robin D'Angelo. Right. Are you familiar with her? No. 
oh, Shiva, you must watch. She's got a video called uh, White Fragility, which is phenomenal and really opened some things up for me. But ultimately, her fundamental thing is like white people tend to get defensive when we point to racism because we take it as a personal affront and we want to, all of us, I think, want to hold ourselves as not racist. But the fact is that our whole system is based on a racist foundation, not intentional. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to go down that path. Anyhow, um, consequently, if you look at, say, like the percentage of executives that are white and male, it's vastly skewed. Like the vast majority of executives would fit the demographic of being white and male. And so I think just inherently by virtue of working with executives, there's like a great deal of, of privilege involved. Um, and then I think there's this interesting conversation where coaching is fundamentally about supporting people to be the creator of their life and at cause to create their life. And that's an interesting clash with privilege where I guess the gradient with which you can work with people really shifts. Because when someone has been put into a system where there's like the amount that they're capable of creating in the world or that they're capable of being at agency in their lives is drastically reduced. Um, At best, it requires a great deal of sophistication to adjust how you're standing for them or even to to see the world through what's possible and what isn't possible for their lives. And at worst, it becomes it starts to feel like bullying or just a complete inability to empathize and get them. Yes, I'm so glad that you mentioned this because this is exact. I was actually writing a a newsletter about this Mm. where the, the basic premise of coaching is to help people become agents of their own action of their own vision whatever it is and yeah i mean there's a cost to to ignoring the different systemic lenses that interface it's not that we need to become victims of them but we have to be able to factor them in yeah so if if you're working with people under an executive title and they're white and male how much does this come into play for you let me just think about that. It so there's it would be rare that I would use words like privilege or point to it that way, but um, because of the way I described my people to you, one of which was like a lot of head, a fairly closed heart, because that's safer, and you know our world oftentimes rewards that. Yeah. Part of the reason we, uh, I think, I can't remember the last time I saw the statistics, but like some percentage of successful CEOs are sociopaths, which is almost the ultimate in closed heart, brainy, brainy, brainy head. And so um, because of that, the thing that often is getting in the way of what my people want to create in their lives is um, an inability to create relationship, an inability to really get people and an inability to get themselves over there on that side. And then from that, they end up in conversations that sound a lot like privilege to us. Like, well, I don't understand. Why doesn't everyone just like put themselves through school? I did that. You know, that conversation, right? Where it's like, well, buddy, here's why. (laughs) Fundamentally to me, that occurs like a closed heart. And if we can open our hearts and really start to listen and get over there with other people, first of all, that reaps massive benefits for the sort of people I'm working with. Short term, there's usually a drop off 
because what they're used to doing and what's made them successful up to this point is no longer working. But long term, it starts to create really massive shifts and quite profound changes. And that's the place where I would say, like, in a way, we're working with privilege because they're part of how privilege works is we 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 don't see it and we see the world through our own context and our own lens. And then we sort of just assume everyone should is coming from the same place and then we can't empathize and blah, 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 blah. Right. And I imagine these people, if they're swimming in those same uh, sort of sociopathic waters, then there tends to be a culture or an expectation of how they have to show up in order to get from A to B or B to C. So it's like a reinforcing culture at the top. Yes. It, the way I hold it or the way I experience and see this and try to support people to see it themselves is we have our beliefs, which then dictate the way we act. And the way we act then creates a world around us that is a function of the actions we take. And then the world around us that we've created from our actions reinforces our beliefs. Right. And so that's part of the challenge in seeing privilege or, or indeed any context. But the one we're talking about right now is privilege is because our we have almost created a world where we can't see it. And so then it, it's really hard to point to it because it's like in some manner of speaking, the people of privilege say, I don't think privilege exists. They're kind of right because they can't see it. They've created a world where that being reflected to them isn't available. Right. It's self-affirming. Exactly. Self-fulfilling in a way. Exactly. Yeah. And self-reinforcing. If these people stayed in that level of reality, what do you see? How do you see that affecting the world? Uh, well, let me talk about myself because that'll be probably even like richer, yeah, I think, and, yeah. and it's less safe. And so, um, one of the, one of the things I know for myself is that I, my ego and the way I like people to see me is like, I've got it sorted. It's all handled and I'm all fine and good. And I care about everyone. And that's great. Like that is something I aspire towards, but the truth is sadly that I'm a human. I reached this conclusion begrudgingly <laughs> and from being a human it means that i make mistakes and i'm going to hurt people i don't i personally don't believe we can ever not hurt someone it's just a function of who we are we're going to bump into people we're going to hit their shopping cart into their heels you know whatever it happens to be and so the the real impact in me kind of trying to maintain this false image that i could never hurt anyone it makes it impossible for me to get present to the times when I do. And then consequently, the people that I hurt are left diminished because they never get the experience of me getting my impact. And so I get to go on oblivious in the world and sort of like, oh, no, I feel great. I, I don't hurt people. I've got my values. Look, I wrote them on my wall. And the people that I'm tromping on are kind of left tromped on. And it's like really quite tragic because they don't even get to be validated in the impact that's landed on them. Yeah. And so then, you know, consequently they're like, am I crazy? What do I do? I guess it's just me. And then, you know, it just worsens from there. Beautiful. I, I love that you have this grasp of oppression <laughs> and if you're willing, um, mm -hmm. because it sounds like you've, you've done a lot of your own work around this. I'd love for people to be able to hear how did you come from a self-described, um, is it fair to say sort of like over intellectualized closed off to your heart self 
to get yeah. to this point where you could essentially have empathy as I hear what you're describing. Yeah. Well, I'll, I want to own that it's always a journey, yeah. right? Like I haven't arrived here, which is, I, I just want to put in part of someone invited me to a group the other day that was like, those of us that are woke. And I was like, Oh, that is so dangerous for me to say yes to, because as soon as I start relating to myself as woke, it's like, I'm here. And I know better than that. I know at least that much for yeah, and myself. Then there, and then there's a binary, like you're either woke exactly. or you're unwoke versus we're all in a, a journey of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're constantly unwoke in some areas yes. of our life. That's, that's why. Yeah. So anyhow, Amen. <laughs> the, 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 the sort of first moment that really started to, to put some cracks in the, um, the perfection I was trying to build as I was in my thirties was I found my way into a really transformational coach training program. And on the first day, the, the, actually the CEO of that company was working with me and he said, he, he spoke to me in a way that I could really hear. And he said, Adam, you're, you're like a, um, you're like a new iPhone, you know, it's shiny and entertaining and we want to play with you and it's novel while we do. But then we set you down and we go have a beer with our friends because we can relate with those people. And you are like a perfect shiny suit of armor. There's no way in. It looks great and you're impervious, which is great if you want to be a lawyer. But if you want to have an impact on people and in people's lives, the way you say you do, you have to be able to let people impact you. And so that began. That was like the opening from which I could start to like, oh, wow, I am not creating what I want to be creating. So I just want to point out for people, even though this might seem like a given for you, that you had to let that feedback in somehow. And that that for some yes. people, that could be pretty sharp feedback. Uh, it was enough for you to handle somehow. How did you get yourself in a position to hear that and, and receive it? Um, I think a lot of that credit is owed to the people that delivered it mm. and the and so really they had created themselves so that they could be in such, they could be, they could provide that to me with humility on their own part, probably having taken, well, almost certainly having taken a look, like had that same feedback to them. Mm. So they could deliver that to me from a place of like genuine love and empathy and humility rather than a place of like, I've got one up on Adam, mm. which I would have spotted in an instant. And two, they also provided it to me in such a way that like I saw possibility in it. So it wasn't like, here's how you suck at them. It was, here's what's available. Here's who you're on this planet to be. Here's what's in the way of that. Beautiful. And what they put in front of me was, I couldn't turn away from that. It was so clearly what I was here to do that that stuff was really freeing when they pointed to it rather than destructive. Mm. Yeah, it's a great little side note on effective feedback. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, so I interrupted you a second ago, but thank you for clarifying that because I don't want that to go I don't want that to go unnoticed because I think so much of what gets in the way of connection and open-mindedness and receptivity uh these days is lost in uh delivery and and our intent and our heart space. Yes. I have a I have a thought, something I've noticed for myself that that might be worth bringing into the space. And that's that. So I grew up in Victoria, British Columbia, where growing up, there was like four black guys, maybe one black girl. And like we all knew them because they went to it was like, oh, there's Jameson, Jameson Wheeler. He's around town because there's not a lot of black people here in Victoria. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, and so I just don't have a lot of experience with African-American or black or whatever the, the respectful term would be for their culture. And I notice there's a part of me that's like, man, I really, I, I wish to know that culture. I wish to know people from that culture. I want to be in some kind of relationship or friendship with it. And then where I get, I get all wacky about it because I want to be respectful. And then at the same time, I don't want to be like, Hey, I want to be your friend. Cause you're black. That's weird. But then I'm operating over top of that, trying not to just be normal with them. And so I noticed this can show up for me mm. and what I noticed from that is that, um, well, it gives me a lot of empathy for a lot of people because I think a lot of us want to, we want to come together and we just don't know how to do it. And we're scared of making mistakes and, and getting mess on people and creating an, an impact that hits someone negatively. And so I don't know that there's necessarily a solution to that. Uh, but I want to call it out. Like, I want to acknowledge that that can show up for me sometimes. Yeah, well, you sort of get paralyzed in your own fear of making a mistake or making... That's right. Impact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of a lot of us can relate to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So a minute ago, I was really curious about... Uh, you were talking about your clients and you were talking about yep. that, that feedback opportunity. So what did you do after you got that feedback? Um, well, I started to notice it was the first thing that I, that I saw. And, um, I, I practiced letting it go. So ultimately what I know is, you know, even if we go to what I mentioned about like, Oh, I want to, there's a black person. I want to talk to them or all that wackiness that that's there. The same, there's the same thing to do there as there was when I got that feedback about being entirely in my head, which is to notice that showing up. And then to set it aside mm. rather than operate over top of it. So, for example, the way that looked when I first came home, I'd been at this weekend, one weekend of 12 weekends, very intense, long, year-long program. I came home to my wife blown open, you know, seeing some possibility that had never before been there, seeing myself um, absent my filter, seeing other people absent my filter, and really... Uh, I think the best way I could put it is like just devastated by love. So I came home and, and, um, and my wife had had none of this experience <laughs> and I practiced, like I started practicing being vulnerable and sharing when I was afraid and, um, and trying to let people make a difference. And, and, and it's still very challenging. I, I was at a, I was out with a friend, over dinner just two days ago, a friend who's also in transformational work and is a coach himself. And, and he asked me in the moment, you know, like, Hey, can I support you? And I was just present to how much resistance I had to that because somewhere in my personality construct or my ego was this belief, like if I let someone support me, then I'm less than, but you could see it. You could watch it happening. I, I, I could, that's right. Yeah. I had, I had enough, like I could get my arm around it. The crappy thing is that <laughs> seeing it doesn't necessarily make it feel any different. Mm -hmm. So when I finally, I was able to choose yes, but I felt myself flush and I could feel like just energetically, it was like, Ooh, this is really edgy for me to allow this. And I've been in this work for a long time and it's still challenging. Yeah. And that's something I've been working on too, is 
you know, where do I notice in the world what I might see on the surface as um, some sort of inconvenience or an agitation, or even I might take it as far as saying like, this is not, this is a wrong, like this isn't supposed to happen. And, yes. And recognizing not, you know, it's, it still can be something to, to work with. That's all right. Um, doesn't mean we have to endure everything, but to be able to use that as a pathway in to empathize with, um, you know, the, this might be someone's reality 24 seven all the time. Yeah. I, um, one of the things that comes to mind right now is how, regardless of who I work with, one of the things that's really cool to me is they're all human, which sounds obvious, but we can lose sight of that. We, because we know our own thoughts, feelings, body sensations, experience, etc. And we also aren't present to the fact that our lens is just our lens. It occurs to us as objective reality. And the more I work with more people, the more it's just like, oh, they're just a human like everyone else. And often as people get more um, related with the rest of the world and soften in what they're right about, I notice that things like privilege do seem to start to fall away a little bit, just like any other context. Now, to be fair, privilege is a rooted context that's culturally embedded. So it's a lot stickier than a context someone might have just arrived at from growing up in a family where you never talk to strangers. But it does provide me some hope seeing people like, as we start to empathize more and get get outside of our own small worldview that like things start to shift a little bit. Yeah. As far as you've gotten with it so far, where do you see your privilege um, leveraging the most positive impact in the world or where do you hope it to? Mm. Uh, by far, I, I'm a real believer that um, coaches and leaders, ultimately there's only the work over here for ourselves that that's really all there is. And the more certain we are that this person over there needs to shift, the, the more likely it is like, actually there's something for me to take on. Right. And, and I'll give you a super small, simple example. Um, we have like an anti-bullying day here in Canada. And I think there's one in the States and everyone like, you know, wears pink and denounces bullying which is kind of like that thing over there is a problem. And what I really think will change the world and set us all free is if we are willing to take a look and say like, where am I a bully? Because if we really take a look, we all have that capacity. And to some extent, we all can be a bully from time to time. And so when I'm willing, I notice when I'm willing to do that and to like, I have the benefit of my privilege having allowed me to arrive where I'm in life and to have a, a bit of a platform. I really believe that where I can make the biggest difference is to, to take just a, a really brutally honest, brutally, but loving honest look over here and get supported to see what I don't want to see. And then to share that with the world. I love that. Yeah. 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 yeah I love this theme that you even mentioned before we started recording about how your approach to leadership was you know going from the cognitive understanding of a skill like riding the bike to, to actually riding mm. the bike yeah and i think that is a huge leverage point for those of us in um, agency roles is the ability to model um, because the platform is there because there might be a little bit more 
bandwidth to make mistakes or be forgiven or be even seen in in a different light. Mm. It's, it's uh, potentially an avenue for allyship. Yes. There's a, there's another area I see that's, that's kind of sneaky. I was going to ask like, Hey, can I take us there? But then I realized you don't know what I'm going to say. So I'll just do it anyhow. (laughs) Have you seen poverty Inc? No fascinating documentary and what it's about is ultimately that the system of foreign aid that exists in the world which is sort of like oh there's been a hurricane in haiti let's donate a bunch of free rice to support haiti that whole system is actually self um it's a cycle it feeds back into itself and so our system of foreign aid actually worsens the problem and then creates people more reliant on foreign aid so for example in haiti after the hurricane all of this rice was donated, which then floored the price of rice for the local farmers in Haiti. And then they were no longer able to make money. So now they, you get the idea. Yeah. And so one of the places that I think privilege can be especially sticky is when with our best interests, we are working to right the quote wrongs of privilege. And in doing so, we're unable to see like, no one is as blind as those righteously helping the meek and the weak. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we can get caught into this way like, okay, I got it. I'm a privileged person. So I'm really going to support you, the person that's downtrodden and doesn't have the same privilege as me. And that way I can say that I'm woke and I don't have to take a look on my side, how I'm fulfilling and reinforcing this problem. And um, I, I just think that's a really sticky part about this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, yeah. among other things, the release of our own personal guilt is is sort of a false um, release of pressure to get into the real layers of the work. Yeah, beautifully said. It's really like a mountain with no top. You know, I think we're probably always, to some extent, going to be noticing new places. We're like, wow, here, look at that. I'm doing it over here. All right, time to bring that into alignment with what we collectively are committed to creating on this planet. It brings up an interesting idea that is is not necessarily novel, but in this context, I, I like the way you bring it into the, the Haitian rice farmer, is that we need to be probably more informed around, and this is maybe privilege, one form of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if we just step into a solution without understanding the systemic ramifications, we might actually be doing more harm than good. Yeah. And so how can we better position ourselves or educate ourselves about the systems we look to impact before we choose a strategy. Because oftentimes the strategies are, are the easiest because they're the ones where, okay, I can go on this march and therefore I can, you know, relieve that little bit of twinge of guilt about activism. But I haven't, yeah. I haven't really done anything. In fact, maybe I've made an impact I can't even see because I didn't really take the time to understand the, the effects. And I can then condemn the people that didn't go on the march and you know, hate on the obvious people to hate on. And I just can't imagine that this stuff gets resolved with more hate, hmm. no matter how well-intentioned it is. Of course. Yeah. Divi- yeah. Division is the true, is the true evil, right? Yeah. To, to your, um, to what you just said about, you know, like the solution that's obviously there. Um, Werner Erhardt, uh, founder of Landmark and, and a number of other things often would say, um, just because something is obvious does not make it true, no matter how obvious it is. Hmm. 
which I think there's so much juice in that simple quote, like, well, obviously the problem is that we give them rice. It's like, well, that's <laughs> obvious is dangerous. Mm. You need to be careful around there. Obvious is dangerous. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's a good little privilege tag for folks listening. Mm. If it seems like an easy fix, maybe we need to go deeper. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love this because my work is all about understanding systems. And I think the world is at a tipping point, at least, you know, from the U.S. centric view. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as a Canadian, I'm very curious about your your view adjacent to this. It feels like there's so much happening and it feels like the U.S. is right now this nexus of, uh, let's say, like, we've had a we've had a lot of stuff hiding in the basement for a lot of years and it's mm. like there's lights being turned on and there's a lot of mold and mildew and dirty stuff that's seeing the light of day and it feels yeah. like we're at a real critical moment of how we respond to that how do you see it from from up there yeah um thanks for asking <laughs> the one what i'm present to more than ever in the world is just a lot of fear and the hard part about fear is that when people are afraid, scared people act like scared people. And when we're scared, we act in ways that can hurt other people. And then when we hurt someone else, it's really hard for them to have compassion for the fact that we're afraid. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this nasty cycle where we all get stuck in it because then we condemn the person for how they acted. and guess what doesn't work for someone who's scared? Like if you imagine condemning a scared three-year-old that that's not going to support them to move beyond their fear, it's going to crystallize their fear. And in a lot of ways, a lot of us are kind of, we're pretty young. We're, we're, we have, we're aged, we're mature in our age, but our being is quite young. And our society I think is, is fairly young in, in the grand scheme of things and the way it shows up. Uh, so that's the first thing I'm present to. And I really have a belief that we can't we can't leave somewhere until we've been there. And that sounds obvious, but what that means to me is I can't let something go until I can fully be present to it. Otherwise it's just going to keep operating below my level of consciousness and I'm powerless I have no access to it. Mm-hmm. And so it does feel to your point Jesse like kind of what we're at we're at this point where it's like Oh my God, we can't keep looking away from this and we can't keep trying to solve over top of it. Like, Oh my God, it's there. Let's solve it immediately. So we don't really have to be with it. It feels kind of like we're at this point where the old ways of not having to confront what is really ugly and scary and that we don't want to confront it's they're breaking down and we're being given this opportunity. We'll call it to really take a look and to really be with the impact of how things have gone up to this point. And only once we're willing to really do that and be with that, will we be able to create some kind of shift that'll make a difference. Mm. For anybody listening, what would you, what would you encourage in terms of the next step of coming into greater contact with themselves? Mm. Yeah, I think I really, um, I think that there's no better way to unfold, help the world unfold than really taking a look on our side. And I think privilege operates, we hold it um, 
from the from like the same way we hold integrity, which is like binary. I'm either in integrity and therefore good, or I'm out of integrity and therefore bad. I'm either coming from privilege and therefore bad, or I'm woke, I guess, and therefore good. And I think that does great harm to us because it it makes it it gives us a vested interest in not seeing when we're coming from a place of privilege. And so I really um I guess this would be my wish for the world is that we could all see our own places where we operate from a degree of privilege such that we could be with it. And if we could be with it in ourselves, we'd have a little more, one little more capacity to just see it when it shows up. So then we could hear people reflecting it to us and maybe start to do something. And then we could also have a little more love for other people that are operating from that same place. And I think what that would create collectively is like a, a bit of a loosening, not a, not a diminishing of intentionality around this, but like, you know, if you imagine someone who's all constricted in, in their muscles, it, it's hard for them to do anything through trying to constrict further. So I think it would actually let us sort of soften a little bit and hear each other just a little bit more than we currently are. It sort of took a flyer on this conversation, but I'm really appreciating your uh, your thoughtfulness around these concepts. I appreciate that. And it makes me scared because <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, there's some reckoning coming my way from the universe. I know it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Amazing, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I can even notice myself just softening a little bit in this conversation. And like I'm getting a little bit heady because I'm looking for something to push back on and I'm <laughs> not finding it, mm. which is so interesting. Like what if I just trusted that that's that's OK, that's enough. It's enough to be to be really humble and connected to, to your truth. Yeah. Um, and to like, oh, boy, if we could allow ourselves to make more mistakes um, and that would provide some space to allow others to make more. I mean, a lot of the trouble with a lot of this, at least for me, speaking into this awesome container that you and I have created is that a lot of this sounds really trite. Yeah. Unfortunately, usually the best ways of like living a rich life are very simple in nature. And all the complication is our brain and our ego trying to stay safe and control everything. And so, I mean, boy, howdy, (laughs) (laughs) if we could get simple and and let ourselves make mistakes, oh, that would be amazing. Who are the leaders that you look up to in the world today? Let me think. Um, I mentioned Werner Earhart and I, I really admire him. Um, are you familiar with him? Uh, is he the landmark guy? He is. Yeah. So he founded it. What I think is amazing about Werner is that that's not his real name. That's an assumed identity he took after he, um, got married to his first wife, had three kids and then abandoned them and traveled across the country, changed his name, did all this stuff. And he, at some point, at about 33 years of age, realized like he had some degree of awakening and he realized like, wow, this will forever own my life until I can like get responsible for what I've done. And, and so he did, he came back, he like united his families. He, he really like, he got responsible in the sense that he really was able to own and sit down with them and say, look, I, I done this and I'm going to sit and listen to the impact and be with you and do whatever you need me to do to make this right. Mm. 
And that is such a model for me in terms of I get so Jesse, I get so righteous when people wrong me. And that that model always gives me a place to come back to. I'm like, there is always a role that I have played in this. And uh, I want to be the person that leans in first Mm -hmm. and that says, hey, here's what I can see that I've done. I'm open to hearing what's over there. And uh, so absolutely. Werner Earhart really uh, inspires me. Um, And then it's not a leader of today and it's, it feels a little cheesy to choose him, but like just Mahatma Gandhi and his um, commitment to have the British peacefully leave India is so remarkable and such a great model for what's possible. Mm. Um, He really, really provides me a place to look when I'm at my most righteous. Yeah, in the equine world, that brings up the concept for me about uh, non-predatory leadership. So Mm. uh, live and let live principle. Yes. Yeah, Ah. we we need a little more of that. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Yeah, beautiful. We're a couple minutes over. Do you have a few more minutes? I sure do. Okay. I wanted to see if if people want to connect with you and your work, uh, what's out there that you'd love them to know about? Mm. Um. Well, my website is always a, a good place to start because I put plenty of content there. So that's adamquiney.com. That's just my full name, A-D-A-M-Q-U-I-N-E-Y. We'll put it in the notes too, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And then um, Facebook is always, we're all on there. We're all using it for the most part. So that's always a great place to connect with me too. And I'll say I love the opportunity to be in connection and conversation with anyone. It's the more the older I get, the more I realize like, wow, what a gift whenever anyone reaches out to me, there's always something in it for me. Hmm. Yeah, I really appreciated that about you because you and I really didn't know each other at all before this interview and you jumped in with open arms, which I think hopefully provides something positive. Yeah, it's super cool, right? Mm-hmm. It's been really neat. Mm-hmm. You got a little bit of that like, yes, uh, say yes kind of thing going. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> things present themselves all right did we did we miss anything that you'd love the opportunity to bring up let me check um well maybe just like an example of um i can share like a very simple story of where i've been caught myself Mm. um which may or may not be useful and you know either way you can use or you cannot but I was uh, developing leadership. I was training. I was running coach training, developing the leadership of about six people on my team. And one of them identified as a lesbian and or queer. Now I think she identifies as queer. But um, I said something and I intended it as a joke. And I... It, it it was very like in passing, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of charge around it for me. There wasn't a lot of energy. And she came up to me afterwards and said, Hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to support you in your language. Um, because you know, the way the joke you made, I get that it was innocent, but it really, it I just, I don't know if you are aware of the impact that had. And what I noticed in that moment was all my defensiveness and all of my like, come on, it was just a joke. And I know that it was dumb. And I even, I even like called myself out and blah, 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 blah. And, um, who cares? 
Who cares, Adam, that you intended as a joke? Who cares that blah, 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 blah? There was an impact either way. And oftentimes, rather than get present to the impact, I, and I think most of us, would rather just apologize for it or explain why we did what we did. And the explanations are relevant, especially in conversations like this. What matters is our impact and being willing to get present to it because then Again, we, we allow people the experience of being gotten and we allow ourselves the gift of starting to do something about our impact rather than sort of operating over top of it. Impact versus intent, right? If imagine mm-hmm. imagine if if we as a culture could create space to have the sharing of impact become safe and normalized. Mm-hmm. And what you mentioned a few minutes ago um, about the loosening imagine like the loosening of the relational musculature of our culture and the world at large if impact became like that much more of a priority in relationship and i and i have my own stories about where i've gotten where i've activated myself down the line of justifying intent or defending intent and then yeah. like oh man you missed that <laughs> yeah it doesn't, oh dear <laughs> it doesn't matter both can be true and I think yeah. that that's the one thing I appreciate you bringing that up because I, I want this in in the recording is there's um, <clears throat> there's people in my world who I often engage and they're they're usually more conservative minded folks and they seem oftentimes very flustered or frustrated around this concept of offending somebody mm-hmm. and, and I want to tell them that your impact is not necessarily around offending somebody. And mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not speaking for, you know, certainly not the person in your story or, or anyone else but myself. For me, I, I always want that. And I'm sure there's other folks who are saying no, because if you're worried about offending me, you're first of all, you're missing most likely some deeper impact. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like that's a real common one that I hope people can hear and consider for themselves. Like, is this really about being so careful and touchy that we were actually missing that it's not about being offensive. It's about maybe being safe or being seen or, or being or having belonging. Gosh, it's such a projection, right? For often from from the the fragile side of things to be able to yeah. say, oh, I don't, I'm sorry I offended you. <laughs> That might, yeah. just, that might just be the first layer. And, and I promise you the offending is not what that other person is probably worried about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to send you the, the video I mentioned uh, of Robin on uh, white fragility too, because I think you'll really appreciate it. And it speaks to a lot of this. And she's the author of that book, right? I believe so. Yeah. 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 I have, I know who she is. Yeah. I yeah. She's awesome. It. Please do. Yeah. 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 Um, great. So if there's any men listening who are, you know, sitting here listening to us and they're like, oh, maybe I maybe I could kind of open this this personal drawer and look in it. What would your kind of words of encouragement be to to set them on a gentle path towards self-honesty? Mm. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to like capture it like a gentle words, self-honesty, open the drawer. <laughs> well, and, uh, and, but and like, also... I'm just saying men specifically because I think um, this is an important time and, and men need to be served really well and really consciously and lovingly um, 
as a group as well. And so yeah. I, I want to give give a sort of a shout out since since you and I have this context and shared experience that we can offer something for men specifically. Yeah, the the thing I, like that that's often present for me in the way we are currently is that um, there's a lot of hurt, and what we do from hurt is we react, and so it's challenging. I see a lot of challenge for really both. I mean, these days we're in a gender fluid world, but if we just operate with men and women for the sake of this current conversation, a lot of men feel a little bit under siege because a lot of the feminine is reacting to the hurt of the patriarchy that's been in place for so long. And then so from that reaction, then men kind of come back over the top and blah, 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 blah. And I would say like, it's really challenging to take a look when the request to take a look is also met with some make wrong or some, some like reactiveness. Mm. And notwithstanding that, I think it's really like, it's a divine thing to do that. Like, and people can hold divine however they want, like God, spirit, the space blueberry muffin. It doesn't matter. Whatever gives you access to something greater than yourself, being willing to acknowledge that hurt and not take it on personally and still take a look at what's being requested you take a look at i think that's how we heal the world and that people that are willing to do that i just want to acknowledge each and every one of them because i think that's superhuman that really demands something of us that is beyond our programming and every single time someone is willing to take whatever look they are willing to take in the face of whatever resistance they feel i think they support the world in moving towards a better place and that is just amazing beautiful you echoed mm -hmm. the the eloquent feedback that that CEO did for you. And I, I have a sense as a man just listening to you, oh, I have, I have power, I have a part to play, I have the ability to do something. And whereas before I may have looked outside myself for that power, um, yeah. what, what Adam's saying is, hey, now your power is coming from looking within yourself. And so thank you for that, yeah. Uh-huh, nice. Well, Adam Quiney, executive coach from British Columbia. Thank you again for being on the Super Givers podcast. It was awesome to have you and I, I really appreciate and have a better understanding of the work you're doing in the world and, and thank you so much for it. Thanks, man. This has really been an opportunity for me to take a look and I really appreciate the opportunity to just be in this kind of conversation. Find out more about Adam's work at adamquiney.com. That's Q-U-I-N-E-Y. If you were to turn towards the mirror right now, try asking yourself how you're contributing to a problem in the world you care so deeply about. Remember to be gentle with yourself, as liberation and ultimately allyship come only with awareness and acknowledgement. This has been the Supergivers Podcast, and I'm your host and producer, Jesse Johnson. You can help me out with one of three simple actions. You can write a five-star review on iTunes, you can tell a friend about the show, or you can listen to another episode on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or TuneIn. You can learn more about me and my equine-based leadership work at supergivers.com. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.